I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. The economy is booming, and according to the latest data, grew at the fastest pace since last summer, with non-farm payrolls increasing by 916,000 and the unemployment rate falling to a post-pandemic low of 6%. But what has this upturn in the economy meant for jobs in financial technology? Whether it be robo-advising, crypto, or payments, and where are the openings? Well, to answer all of our questions, I am delighted to have David Richardson, a partner at the executive recruiting firm of Hydric and Struggles, to walk us through the ins and outs. Now, David has spent years specializing in placing people in leadership positions at the firm and has an insider's understanding of not only the fintech marketplace, but also the human capital needs of the emerging economy. David, thanks so much for joining the show. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It's great having you. Uh, this is a topic that I know everyone is interested in nowadays, including our listeners. And I guess we'll start off with the basics. Um, in a snapshot, what does the fintech jobs market look like? Well, unsurprisingly, it's extremely active right now. A huge amount of growth. It's incredibly fast moving for executive roles and very dynamic, given that you have some big structural changes, new entrants high-growth dominant players as well that are really driving the market. That's, that's really interesting. You know, um, uh, when one talks about fintech, you know, it, 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 as I always tell people, it's more of a term of art than it is like a, a legal sort of <laughs> designation. You know, what is fintech? Qu'est-ce que c'est? Uh, you know, uh, but, but when you sort of break it down, um, there's payments, there's, there's cryptocurrency stuff, robo-advising, cloud computing. You know, it, it's just massive, really, you know, that, that intersection between finance and, and technology. Um, from your perch, when you talk about fintech, you know, what kinds of sectors are, are coming to mind? And are there any sectors that may be doing a little bit better than others? Yeah, absolutely. You're exactly right. This is part art part science. Fintech is just so broad right now. It wasn't always that way when we were first in this space. It was a little more consolidated. So I think we're we're often working with clients and working with them to determine, are they a verticalized industry fintech? Or for them, is, is fintech more of a function within another part of their business? Uh, I think if you look at the growth in demand for executive roles and for board roles, Payments and particularly integrated online payments tied to either commerce in the high street, beyond a credit card, or e-commerce, there's massive growth happening there. And it's private companies, it's public companies, it's big established brands and emerging. And of course, you're seeing you know, public market activity, IPOs, direct listings, etc., which really bears that out. As you mentioned, digital assets, aka crypto, is huge, huge growth space right now, uh, and particularly in the last three to six months, correlated with the increasing price of crypto assets. And that ecosystem has become incredibly diverse. So you, know, you have 
consumer-facing businesses, you have market structure exchanges, you have clearing and custody businesses, institutional players coming into the space. So it, it, it's sort of not only one thing, it's a, it's a multitude of different skills and experience that are needed in executive hires. And of course, as you mentioned, robo-advising, insurance technology, kind of digital lending, neo-banking, these are all domain areas which are experiencing incredible growth right now. Alongside that, some of the more established players in areas like credit card processing, merchant payments, software and data services, the big established brands who've been around for 10, 20, 30 years, there's been massive amounts of takeover activity. So while that means that on the whole, they have been less likely to make senior executive hires, that has still happened. And as they bring those companies together, it's created different demands in executives and leaders within those organizations. You, you know, it was interesting, you know, one of your, your first uh, observations was was that originally a lot of the sort of interest or, or activity, it, it was in a very consolidated fashion. You know, could you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, it, was it just that, that there was a, a very finite number of players or was it that other um, uh, sort of pockets of the ecosystem hadn't really developed or grown to the extent to which they, their their sort of human capital needs um, were, were becoming a first order priority for them. Well, I think that what's interesting, having worked in this space now for uh, longer, I guess than I care to admit, we didn't always have the the term fintech. Um, I think that's become a term that people rally around, and it's really helped bring senior execs into the into the ecosystem and get people excited about the opportunities that are there. If you look at where things were 15, 20 years ago, you had some really large dominant software, data, payments and processing businesses. And if you looked at those businesses and the executives at the top of them, multitude of different backgrounds, but they were they didn't have the mind share that big financial services firms in particular had at that point in time, and certainly technology companies had subsequently. So I would say that there was a lot more centralization, and you found in executives in that space, they came from a variety of academy companies, which are the big dominant firms that were out there hiring, training, developing the leaders of the future in fintech, and then seeding those people to other ventures. What you have now is a much more kind of healthy, diverse ecosystem of investors that are doing seed A, B, C series rounds. And as they go through those uh, those growth phases and, and they accelerate through those growth phases, need a different set of skills on the executive team. Interesting. So, so right now, are you seeing uh, a, a bit more of an equilibrium in terms of the demand from public companies or uh, versus private companies? Is more of your time um, being spent with private companies looking to do IPOs, uh, or, or again, is it just sort of uh, legacy financial market participants? I don't know, uh, banks, as you'd mentioned, insurance companies that are looking to sort of upgrade their skill set, and, and therefore are, are looking for people who have a a bit of a fintech background? Well, if you look over the last year, so going back to the start of early stages of the pandemic, I think the, the largest growth area has been late stage private. 
in fintech. So companies that are a year or perhaps months from some kind of public market event and are really the interesting thing about that is that they're really hiring for public market skill sets as a private company. So that's something that we work with. We've done a huge amount of work with clients up and down that space. At the start of 2021, that's still a hyper growth space for us as a business. But we've seen a huge uptick in demand as well on the public companies as financial institutions, technology companies start really reinvesting and rebuilding out their go-to-market capabilities and their functional capabilities to support growth as they see it in the broader industry for 2021 and onwards. So when you move a little bit further down uh, or, or across, really, a lot of the uh, organizations, you, you have firms. Uh, I guess you have the, the C-suite and, and certainly the board. Uh, but, but really, where do then professional services companies sort of fit in in this? Uh, you know, are, are there any kinds of professional services where there's more going on, more demand than elsewhere? Are, are, are fintech lawyers doing better than fintech accountants or, or fintech consultants? So I think broadly, if you look at our firm, we we focus on multiple industries. Fintech is is one of those. And then I'm support, supported and partner with my colleagues in functional practices who, who work across multiple industries in some cases, in some cases are focused, and they support you know, risk, compliance, technology, financial professionals. So I have the benefit of some of their experience, um, although they're the experts in the field. I think specific to fintech, as you look at our clients right now, there's always demand for lawyers and finance professionals at the top of a company. The talent war for technology and engineering talent is just absolutely fierce right now, and that's cross industry. So fintech is is you know going toe to toe and fighting for talent with uh, big established companies in Silicon Valley, the hyper-growth enterprise SaaS businesses, consumer technology companies. And of course, as you see more and more private companies heading towards some kind of public market event, that just naturally means that CFOs with public markets experience are incredibly in high demand right now. So you know you've, you've you've mentioned you know the public market event and and even uh, sort of direct listings and what's fascinating obviously is is that uh, these aren't just market events that they're that they're also news events. Um, to, to what extent is the is the news or or the media sort of having on your business, whether or not it be uh, Coinbase's IPO or GameStop volatility? I mean, is, is this shaping in any way sort of the demand? Uh, uh, that you're seeing in the market? Well, the public market events are interesting ones and not wanting to comment on any specific firms, but when organizations go through an event into the public markets, whether that's an IPO, a direct listing, these days also SPACs are pretty common. What you'll find is that that's a good news story, of course, for the firm. It creates a demand. It means that they can attract a different set of talent that perhaps they couldn't otherwise. It also benefits the broader industry. So, you know, the competitors will point to the company that just went out into the public market, says, if it's a good news story, then something that will attract talent to their organization going forward. So it it generally increases demand, it lends credibility to the ecosystem, and generally is net positive to the fintech community. 
for many of our clients, though, they're not generally in the news, you know, for good news stories. That that's unlikely. I mean, you you sort of almost never hear about exchanges, clearing houses, market makers when they've had a great day. That's just not newsworthy. And the same is often true for digital lenders or particularly some subsectors like cybersecurity. I mean, if you're doing a great job, you're doing it behind the scenes and you just don't need or want any attention for that. So it's a little bit different for some of those, uh, some of our company, some of the clients we work for, depending on how they're aligned and where they focus. But I absolutely think that, you know, the public market events and some of these big news stories that we've seen are, are net positive for the community. So a lot of the listeners that we have, we have plenty of, of, of execs, uh, but, but we also have a lot, a lot of students uh, who are, you know, really interested in financial technology. Uh, now, obviously, you're not necessarily going to school to have a major in fintech or the fintech industry. But when you look at least at least at the executives at the mid level uh, talent, what kind of background do successful candidates have since they don't have on their sort of uh, resumes PhD in, in in fintech? Yeah, that's interesting. So we, we were talking about the industry fifteen to twenty years ago, and I think even at that time, executives across fintech institutions tended to be more technical, so more STEM academic subjects. And that has absolutely increased. So I think that the technical bar for some of these industry sectors, particularly things like crypto, digital assets, the technical bar is just extremely high. So even if you know people with a legal background, they're going to have, uh, even if they've studied humanities, they're going to have pretty high degree of technical acumen uh, to be in the industry. The other thing that I think is interesting about people in the backgrounds is People get into leadership roles much earlier in their career than they did. That's partly, I think, because of the interest in the sector. So people are choosing to found or join early stage businesses earlier in their career. It's also because the funding that is going into the sector is allowing them to do that. And then I think on the kind of technical and operational point of view, things like cloud computing and availability of computing resources have really lowered the barriers to entry. So you can you can found and build out a business in the space a little easier than you could have done 20 years ago. That's, that's, that's interesting. Um, when you do look at those, you know, at the question of, of, of the technical background, uh, when you move to something like uh, crypto or, or even cloud computing, is there a kind of an arc that you see in some industries any kinds of patterns that you may see that you don't see um, in in others? Well, the critical thing that I don't think can be taught is is the kind of risk-taking that executives need to move into the space. And that's regardless of which subsector of fintech you're moving into. Whether you're joining a startup, an early-stage company, or an established fintech player, for most executives that make the transition, there's career risk attached to it. And so they need to have an openness to change. And, and we will assess for their agility and adaptability when moving into a new company. They also need to have conviction on not only the, the sector and the company, but their ability to add value. And that is really just due diligence that takes place from our clients and from the executives themselves. During the uh, during the point of the process, so that 
that kind of risk-taking entrepreneurial ability is is really the critical factor that makes executives successful because there's a steep learning curve no matter where you move in this space and you really need to invest the time to get over it. Well, yeah, one thing that we are seeing slowly, which I'm hopeful on, is that we're seeing more diversity coming into the ecosystem. Not only gender and ethnicity, but also in terms of career backgrounds, people that are moving into fintech from different industries other than financial services or, or tech or software. There's there's definitely, and there always was, but there still is a big divide between East Coast and West Coast. Now you have these really hyper growth communities now, like Atlanta, which is always the kind of payments hub, but you have Chicago, multiple areas in Texas, Utah, Boston, many, many other areas. But there still is a big kind of cultural difference in my mind between the East Coast talent pool, which typically leans more financial services, and the West Coast talent pool, where executives typically lean more tech. I've I've always sort of said the the West Coast uh, makes it, the East Coast trades it, and and DC <laughs> regulates it, and they don't all see eye to eye, which which makes the entire ecosystem you know pretty interesting. Well, and the the funny thing about that, sorry to interject, but the what makes people successful, you're starting to see cross pollination, which is great. That that's fantastically helpful for the for the broader community, but there's still this big linguistic challenge between people that grew up in one camp or the other. So if you and I were sat in a room with two executives and one is the CEO of, let's say, a global wealth manager with 100 years experience, and they're investing a ton of money in their fintech capabilities, and the other is the CEO of a a robo, a, a wealth tech platform, with 10 years of experience. And the CEO of the wealth manager is on the East Coast and the CEO of the robo-advisor is on the West Coast. If they're talking to us about the investments that they're making in their products and in their platform, the CEO that's grown up in the wealth manager with a 100 years track record, product in that organization typically means a financial product, a mutual fund, an ETF equities, fixed income instruments, derivative instruments. And the platform is the kind of brand recognition, the global reach, reach, the global reach, and the history of the organization. Whereas the West Coast CEO in a wealth technology platform, when they talk about product, it's a very technical, digital version of product experience where the financial instrument output is a sort of part of that, but it's not the driving factor. And the way that they view the platform is a cloud-native, multi-tenant platform that their clients are using and plugging into. Now, the CEO of the global wealth manager with 100 years experience, he or she is extremely smart. So they can learn the linguistic differences, East Coast to West Coast, very, very quickly. But changing the culture in the organization, throughout the organization, is just really, really tough because you can have two people in the same room in similar industries, both talking fintech, both talking product and platform, but they mean very different things. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that myself, particularly even when it comes to product design, 
I mean, you know, d- just the, the way and the order of processes that the firms are taking in thinking through what a product looks like. Uh, it, those processes can look very, very different depending on whether or not you're on the East Coast or the West Coast. And, and, and this can end up with very different outcomes. And I can imagine that then when you're thinking through, again, you know, placing people at high levels of management, you know, understanding whether or not they can make that transition and they can understand the differences uh, in sort of that pocket of the ecosystem, you know, can, can be a critical one. Uh, you know, you, you had mentioned diversity. And, you know, diversity is certainly something that's been a real challenge in technology as well as finance. And so when you squish them together into fintech, you know, it, it's hard to uh, at least make an assumption that, that diversity is going to be uh, sky high. Um, you, you know, when you look at the diversity challenge um, in, again, technology and finance, does it look in any way different uh, when you think about fintech? Uh, and and you know to what degree are you seeing companies uh, looking for it or or navigating that issue differently from again you know 10 15 years ago when we were just talking about technology or, or just finance so firstly it's a priority for every one of our clients and it's a priority for ourselves and uh, you, you wrote an interesting article about this I guess that was last year I saw losing track of time it might have been 2019. So I'd be interested in getting your take on this. But yeah, one of the things that we as a firm, Hydric, have done, our CEO, Krishnan, took a leadership position on this pretty early. And we have a focused diversity and inclusion practice, which is led by my colleague, Lyndon Taylor. And they work with clients on this all day, every day, both in terms of searches at the executive level and board level, but also cultural change and initiatives internally that really drive change throughout organizations. So for for our teams in that practice, but also our teams in every industry and functional practice, that diversity and inclusion, that's our job. That's the key part of the mission. Some learnings, I think, from my work and our work with clients, it really is critical to make a pledge up front to demonstrate commitment and then to hold yourself to account by publishing the data. We, Hydric, have made the board pledge in 2018 where we said 50% of our candidates for board hires, at least 50%, uh, would be diverse. And we publish in our ESG report, which actually just came out, uh, how we're performing against that. So in 2020, 60% of our board placements were diverse. Um, it also, secondly, it really has to be a critical part of the corporate strategy rather than just a sort of one-off initiative. So that means that it can't only be about recruiting and, and search work. Organizations have to be proactive. They have to invest in people. They have to build the pipeline internally. And for fintech specifically, this is absolutely critical to organizations meeting the financial opportunities that are ahead of them because fintech is all too often geographically limited and that's changing pretty quickly. So in order to meet the market opportunity, most of these firms have to go global and they have to serve diverse communities in their own regions as well. So in order to do that, you just absolutely have to have uh, a, a key focus on diversity up and down the organization. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. You know, when people think about disruption, you know, just sort of the the, the coming wave of of uh, demographic sort of disruption arising organically, and then the the, disru- the 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 demographic disruption that just happens naturally as as you scale, you know, and and then you know what what kinds of challenges that presents to make sure that you have people who can you know think through what what opportunities uh, there are. Speaking of opportunities, and you had mentioned this at the at the outset, as horrible uh, as the pandemic has has been, there was and has been an enormously sort of uh, I guess positive impact that. Uh, you know, everyone being locked in their room has had on the digital economy, and uh, including financial technology. Do you see, in terms of the demand for jobs, any sectors being impacted more than others in terms of that boom, and in terms of what the pandemic has done in order to unlock uh, opportunities for for job candidates? And as people get shots in arms and you know the economy starts to reopen do you see uh, any retrenchment or or unwinding uh, uh, as as again the global economy reopens well i look forward to reading your papers on this in a decade's time because it's <laughs> it's going to be fascinating but it's really difficult uh, as as you say we're all sat here in our homes myself included sort of difficult to pick apart these big global transitions and changes when you're just like sitting in the same four walls for a year. Um, But clearly the pandemic's been a huge catalyst for change in the fintech industry and it's accelerated some trends that were already in place for the most part. But it'll be fascinating to see a decade from now when we're sort of picking apart the changes with the benefit of hindsight where which sectors were the most impacted. I think anecdotally, as I go about my life here in the US, in New York, the adoption of integrated payments and digital payments is just absolutely massive. That sort of went fast forwarded five years in six weeks. So, you know, e commerce, I think, has been a huge beneficiary of that. Touchless payment providers and wallet providers has been a big beneficiary of that. And then, of course, Given the markets and people at home looking at investing, those that were lucky enough to have the cash available to invest, that has really benefited the robo-advisors, the wealth techs, the the broker-dealer retail platforms, um, and and the crypto community as well, um, certainly. So there's been a huge ground sell of growth there, and, and that creates demands for executives that have led and operated at a different scale from where those businesses were perhaps 18 months ago. You know, the other thing that I find fascinating is if you look at traditional financial services, the most impacted areas of that industry, and, and every industry, but in financial services, were those which relied on face-to-face contact, which is you know, the advisory businesses. So insurance broking here in the U.S., wealth management, certainly, and and retail banking. And when there was a forcible separation, when people couldn't meet with customers anymore, fintechs really stepped in and filled that gap. Now, what's going to be interesting, you know, the, the business models, as we get shots in arms, are we going to see the business models go back? 
how much will they go back? How much are they going to be a kind of hybrid digital and human contact model going forward? And then particularly in areas like retail banking, you know, it's pretty public now that financial institutions are starting to close out branch networks. And that's going to impact particularly, you know, some communities more than others, um, where banks are the kind of linchpin of access to credit and savings capabilities for people in the local community. FinTech really needs to step up and fill that void for underserved communities. And if they don't, that's going to be a real long-term problem. So I guess we're going to end with one last question, uh, David. If you were to look now in terms of what's on your plate uh, and and where you're you're getting the most requests in terms of uh, sort of finding jobs or, or or finding people really, you know, if you had to identify one area where you're just really seeing a boom uh, and that's taking up a little bit more of your time, what what would it be? Oh dear, that's a tough question. I think uh, two areas. I'll I'll cheat and I'll pick two areas. So I you know, digital assets and crypto at the start of 2021, really just has the kind of mind share here in the US, but I also think globally. So that's a huge booming sector for executives uh, that are interested in it. And the other one would be payments, particularly integrated and uh, kind of e-commerce supporting payments. David, thanks so much for joining the show. It is a pleasure. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Jobs are obviously the linchpin of the economy and, for sure, along with capital, the linchpins of the fintech ecosystem. Now, I think it bears repeating that just how jobs are funneled and who takes them will have an important impact on the ecosystem. Will there be the perspective and diversity available to allow fintech firms to scale and, for that matter, legitimize themselves before a greater array of stakeholders? And will fintech grow in ways that allow both investors to thrive as well as the large addressable market of low- and middle-income people demanding higher-quality financial services? Now, to be sure, these questions will drive conversations in some of the most hallowed halls of the regulatory community, but they'll also echo in the C-suites, boardrooms, and firms tasked with building the human capital and the emerging digital economy. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.